Tired of purchasing candles made with toxic chemicals that give you terrible headaches? Rain City Ray's handcrafted candle company strives to offer intoxicating home and body fragrances that are good for you and the environment. Each scent is carefully curated to elevate the everyday without overpowering your senses. Made with phthalate and paraben-free fragrances and pure essential oils, Rain City Ray's luxury coconut wax candles are clean burning and scent your home with perfume quality fragrances without the headaches. The silky white coconut wax blend is long lasting, sustainable, renewable, non-GMO, vegan, and soy free. Elevate your home fragrance experience and complement your living spaces with high quality scented candles from Rain City Rays. Women-owned, small business, and hand-poured in the beautiful Pacific Northwest. True Crime Cat Lawyer listeners receive 15% off site-wide with code TRUECRIME at raincityrays.com. Welcome to True Crime Cat Lawyer. I'm your host, Elise, and sometimes my cat Winston joins me. This podcast contains content of a graphic nature that might not be suitable for all listeners, including descriptions of violence, sexual assault, and crimes against animals and children. Listener discretion is advised. And welcome to the show. While we were on our hiatus, National Missing Murdered Indigenous Women and Girls Awareness Day took place on May 5th, also known as Red Dress Day. This day is set aside to bring awareness to the numerous cases involving missing and murdered Indigenous women and girls and give these women and girls a voice as they're so often neglected and forgotten by the mainstream media. Although it can be difficult to find information about these cases because of the lack of news articles and public interest in the cases, Part of my commitment to creating ethical true crime content means covering cases that have been forgotten or neglected. I want to share these stories that desperately need to be shared so that answers can be given to the families. So today, we're covering six cases of the missing and murdered Indigenous women and girls of the Pacific Northwest. Lisa Brisseno was a member of the Confederate Tribes of Warm Springs, and she was living in Portland, Oregon at the time of her disappearance. Lisa was 28 years old and was described as a star student at her high school in Madras before going on to college and interning in D.C. Lisa was loved by everyone. She had an 11-year-old sister named Lucinda who looked up to her. Lisa encouraged her little sister to work hard in school and strive to go to college. There's very little information about Lisa's case. But here's what we do know. Lisa was last seen on August 20th, 1997. She was seen leaving with her boyfriend in a white 1983 BMW. The car was later recovered and Lisa's boyfriend was fine, but Lisa was never heard from again. She was reported missing by her sister on August 27th. Because Lisa was living in Portland at the time, the Portland police were in charge of the investigation. Portland police did reach out to the Warm Springs Tribal Police to collect DNA samples from Lisa's family. I should note, Lisa's boyfriend refused to take a polygraph test, but he's never been named a person of interest or suspect in Lisa's disappearance. There's been no closure for Lisa's family or the community. Lisa remains the only Warm Springs tribal member still missing. 
If you or someone you know has any information on the disappearance of Lisa Braseno, please call 503-823-0446. Roxanne Fleming gave birth to her daughter at 17. She was born in 1964, and she was put up for adoption when she was only a few months old. Right before Roxanne went missing, her boyfriend died in a work-related accident. The couple had plans to get married, and after his death, Roxanne's life began to spiral. She lost touch with pretty much everyone after he died. Roxanne was just 18 years old when she asked a friend to take care of her one-year-old daughter. She was last confirmed to be seen at the Lilliset District Hospital for a broken finger on August 23, 1982. Unfortunately, it would be years before Roxanne was reported missing. And by years, I mean Roxanne wasn't reported missing until 2003. It's unclear why no one reported her missing sooner, but Roxanne's adoptive parents reported her missing in October 2003 and started putting up missing persons flyers. It was discovered that there was evidence that Roxanne was still alive around 1986-1987, about five years after she was last seen in British Columbia. According to Edmonton Police, Roxanne was known to be in Alberta during 1986 to 1987 as the Workers' Compensation Board there had contact with Roxanne at the time. But after that, there was nothing. The files with Edmonton Police currently, since that's the place Roxanne was believed to have been most recently. Her official missing date is listed as December 15, 1986. An age-progressed photo was released in 2015, but there have been no updates pretty much since 1986. If you have any information on the disappearance of Roxanne Fleming, please call the British Columbia Crime Stoppers at 1-800-222-8477 or the Edmonton Police Service at 780-423-4567. What's up with WIT? Custom creations made by WIT for you that are whatever you like. She's just getting started with apparel, but stay tuned for drinkware, decor, and more. Everything at What's Up with WIT is customizable. So shoot her a message or choose between the personalized products available, and she can work together with you to make sure you get exactly what you want. Be sure to follow her Instagram for sneak peeks of new products and exclusive deals at What's Up with WIT. Rosenda Strong was a 31-year-old mother of four who went missing on October 2, 2018. Rosenda was staying with her older sister, Sissy, at the time of her disappearance. Sissy gave Rosenda some money before Rosenda got a ride from an acquaintance to the Legends Casino, which was only a few miles away from her sister's home near the Yakima Nation Reservation. Rosenda was last seen playing slots at the casino by her aunt. Rosenda gave her aunt a hug and seemed like her normal bubbly self. Surveillance would show Rosinda leaving the casino with a man seemingly voluntarily around 12 a.m. When Rosinda didn't come home the next day, Sissy reported her missing to the Yakima Nation Tribal Police. 
Sissy was a huge advocate for her missing sister, posting flyers in the area. Rosinda would be missing for almost 300 days before two homeless men found her remains in an unplugged freezer on U.S. Highway 97 around 4.30 p.m. on July 4, 2019. The Yakima County Sheriff's Office, the Yakima Nation Tribal Police, and the FBI all responded to the scene because Rosinda was found within the Yakima Nation Reservation. There were bullet casings found near Rosinda's body, but cause of death remains under investigation and or has not been publicly identified. The FBI claims there are people who know what happened to Rosinda and have encouraged those people to come forward. And Rosinda's sister, Sissy, has done the same. Quote, you know who you are. You're still walking the streets and my sister goes missing. And the last ones she was around were her friends. You were the last to see her alive. You were the last to hear her cries. You were the last person to see her pain. End quote. If you have any information regarding the murder of Rosinda Strong, please call the Yakima Nation Tribal Police at 509-865-2933 or the FBI at 509-990-0857 and reference case number 18-010803. Rosita Longi was born on February 4, 1987 in Helena, Montana. Ten days after she was born, Rosalita had surgery for a condition called Strider, which is a condition where the soft tissue in the throat closes up, resulting in being unable to breathe properly due to an obstructed airway. After Rosalita and her tiny fighting spirit made it through that event, she became the apple of her grandma's eye. Rosalita was always close to her grandma and her auntie. Her grandma had been given permanent legal custody of Rosalita when she was two. Rosalita attended schools in Wapato and liked math and art. She and her boyfriend met at Wapato High School and were together for a few years before Rosalita started hanging out with the wrong crowd and doing drugs at 16. She was in and out of treatment and started staying with her boyfriend, Isaiah Estes Andrews, and other friends. Although Rosalita quit high school, she was working toward her GED. She talked about being a nurse and wanting to join the army. Rosalita could come and go as she pleased from her grandma's house. The only rule was that her grandma didn't want Rosalita around when she was high or drinking. On June 30th, 2015, Rosalita left her grandma's house after the two got into an argument and her grandma asked her to leave. Rosalita had been taking drugs that day and her grandma reminded her that the one thing she wouldn't tolerate was being high or having drugs in her house. Rosalita came back around 10 p.m. that night and knocked on her grandma's door. Her grandma again told her to leave and come back when she was sober. Her grandma blames herself for not letting Rosalita in that night. Rosalita was never seen by her family again. Some witnesses claim to have seen Rosalita at various homeless camps and the Union Gospel Mission in Yakima, but every time her family went searching in the area, there was no sign of Rosalita. If you have any information regarding Rosalita's disappearance, please call the Yakima Tribal Police at 509-865-2933. Leona Kinsey was described as a little stick of dynamite. She was a member of the Puyallup tribe and grew up during the residential school era. She was fiercely independent and self-sufficient, but she also struggled with drugs and alcohol as a result of her childhood trauma. Leona was in an abusive relationship in her 20s, and she was a survivor of sexual assault. At the time of her disappearance, Leona was 45 years old and living in a trailer in the Grand Oregon. On October 24, 1999, Leona made plans to drive to the grocery store and then head to a friend's house for the night. 
but Leona never made it there. Leona's daughter tried paging her mom and calling her landline several times and left messages, but there was no response from Leona. For three straight days, Leona failed to respond to any calls or messages. On October 26th, Leona's daughter called Legrand 911 to file a missing persons report. The dispatcher initially dismissed the daughter's concerns, but she kept pushing law enforcement to search for Leona's car. Thanks to her daughter's efforts, Leona's car was found in an Albertson's grocery store parking lot about a mile from Leona's house. The car had been damaged, but there was no evidence of a struggle. When Leona's home was searched, her daughter found a full pot of coffee, her cigarettes were on the counter, and her two dogs were locked outside. Leona's purse was on the floor of her bedroom with her keys and pager inside, and Leona's glasses, which she always wore, were also found in her purse. Leona owned a landscaping and yard care business that was fairly successful. She had appointments booked out a full week after she went missing. According to Leona's daughter, her mom had a happy life and she wouldn't have abandoned her dogs. Leona allegedly had a boyfriend named Lonnie. Lonnie claimed he last saw Leona around 4.30 p.m. on October 25th. Leona's other friends claimed they saw Leona around this time too, but she was at Walmart. The only person of interest that has been publicly identified in Leona's case is a man named Juan Pena Llamas. Leona was allegedly planning on meeting him the night she disappeared. He was arrested for theft in 2006 and was later deported to Mexico as he was undocumented. According to investigators, Leona's case is still open. There's a $10,000 reward being offered by Crime Stoppers and the Puyallup Tribal Council. Anyone with information in Leona's case should call the Legrand PD at 541-963-1017. Our final case today is the unsolved murder of Ada Brown. Ada was the youngest of eight siblings from Telegraph Creek, British Columbia. Ada was described as outgoing and fun to be around. She was a mother of two, and she was deeply loved by her family as she was the baby. As a teenager, Ada had trouble finding her way, and she struggled. She was abused in several relationships, and her family always worried about her. But Ada stayed in touch with her parents and spent a lot of time with them as she got older. Around the time of her disappearance, Ada had gone to the hospital for a headache. In fact, she went to the hospital a total of three times for her headache and was given Tylenol and sent home. A day or so after the last hospital visit on April 4th, 2001, Ada's body was found in a hotel room in Prince George. Ada had been beaten almost to the point of being unrecognizable. Her face, head, and body were covered in bruises, and she had two black eyes. Cause of death was listed as subdural hemorrhage and complications from alcoholism. The manner of death was classified as undetermined. But according to the family, police told them that Ada died of natural causes before the autopsy was even concluded. The coroner felt that an aneurysm was the reason for the subdural hemorrhage, and the family believes this was caused by the beating that Ada received. Because of the way police treated Ada's death, no criminal investigation was done, and no one has ever been charged with anything in her murder. Ada's family believes a quote-unquote male associate who frequently verbally and physically abused Ada is responsible for her death. They also believe that more than one person was involved in Ada's death. According to the autopsy report, Ada told her doctor she had been assaulted by an unknown female in downtown. There was also an unsubstantiated history of assault five days prior to her death. 
The report also states that subdural hemorrhage can't be related to an alleged assault, nor can it be excluded as a possibility either. So basically, because police decided that Ada died of natural causes, they didn't do a criminal investigation, and opportunities were lost to explore other possibilities for her death. If you have any information on the murder of Ada Brown, please contact the Prince George RCMP at 250-561-3300 or Carrier Sakai at 250-561-3300. Thank you for listening to today's episode. Please share this episode and these cases. Let's bring more awareness to these cases and help bring answers to the family. Thank you for listening to today's episode. Please subscribe and leave a review if you like the show. You can email case suggestions or comments to truecrimecatlawyer at gmail.com. The links for our social media pages are included in the show notes. You can find our discussion group on Facebook by searching for True Crime Cat Lawyer in the group section. Finally, if you're interested in learning more about my co-host, you can check out her Instagram at WinstonTheCatPDX. Thanks again for listening and stay tuned for our next episode. Do you love true crime but are looking for something different? Do you like learning about cases so off the wall they can't possibly be true? Do you love history but want to hear about what they didn't teach you in school? Do you like laughing awkwardly about cases that are bizarre and a little strange? Then we have the podcast for you. Join me, Lindsay. And me, Madison, for Yield Crime. Where we discuss the funny, strange, and obscure crimes of yesteryear. Listen every Wednesday, wherever you get your podcasts. And we'll see you next time with another tale as old as crime.